0: This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. We were in the middle of talking about the type of contemplations that will lead one to a moon and a Kaddish Baruch Hu and support to retain that as the superstructure. The um, one we had spoken about last time was existence on a basic level, matter, Mm -hmm. and the basic laws of uh, science that are immutable and are locked into every bit of creation. That is the first contemplation. The second one is going to be something that will lead us into another topic, but important to keep in mind the basic structure and not to wander off on a lot of side points. The second topic is going to be the complexity of the world above the basic level. In other words, where do rocks come from and water and the laws of gravity and the laws of energy and physics and so on was the first one, the yeshme And now when we take a look at, um, l- at all the complex things in the world, specifically the things that are living, plants, animals, human beings as we studied it, and as we gain more and more knowledge of the extraordinary complexity of a person, we are overwhelmed with the sense of somebody having designed it, and somebody having made it. Um, Nobody would think that a simple watch came into being by itself. Um, It's certainly not something as a human being which is really infinitely more complex. That has been one of the standard his bonenness uh, uh, in psukim, uh, in chazal, uh, a Roman you know, looking around the world and saying there has to be somebody behind it, common sense and, uh, throughout religious philosophy. This has been really the mainstay that a person looking around and seeing the extraordinary, extraordinary complexity of man is the most closest at home and most complex cannot but Say that there has to be someone that created it. Um, it's a very, very powerful, um, point. It's probably the most powerful point. It's something that we can brush aside by just saying it in one sentence. Well, man is very complex. But if a person were to study biology and look at every single bit and piece and how they have to tick and how they are coordinated and so on, we would have to come to that conclusion. That line of his bonus of thinking was universal until a few hundred years ago, when people started. Uh, even though Darwin was the famous one, but be like all great ideas, there was already some precursors where he started. Um, where he started thinking, maybe there's an alternate explanation, and if the alternate explanation works. Then we no longer have this compelling argument for Boreolo. Um, that, is his, that was the general uh, theory and idea behind evolution. Now, as we said before last year, the theory of evolution and the facts that have come up uh, with the theory um, pose two issues. One is it seeks to um stop this his boniness of um saying there must be creator, if we find a reasonable alternate um alternate explanation, then we no longer have this compelling, compelling argument about um Akharish There was a second issue that even if we're to accept Akharish Barakh, but a lot of the what the Torah seems to say <coughs> seems to be contradicted by what we find around us in reality, um, and that became a very, very, and that became a testing ground for religion. We will not be addressing that second issue. That second issue has its own framework. We need to address it at a later point when we speak about Torah and the emesis of Torah and so on. The first point is the one we're going to be trying to address in these, um, in in this year, maybe the next year. Um, If we find a viable explanation, then we are going to have a credible alternative. The, now, the, 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 um, we're talking, we will, we're talking about three things that overwhelm us in their complexity. One is living organisms. Inanimate organisms are complex only, they're not really complex. A rock is piled on dirt and earth. And so on. The word complex doesn't really apply to it. It's just a mix of a lot of stuff. Um, But from from non-living to living, how is how is something living? That was one area. The second area is from the simplest form of what we would call living, which we need to explain in a minute. How do we get very complex organisms? And the third issue is how do we get man? if we're to define man in ways that are unique so that there's no compatibility between anything else mm-hmm. and man. So in our his bonus towards emuna, we have three phases. Where does life come from? How does something inanimate become animate? How does something that l- will, whatever will define as the minimal stage of animate develop into such incredible complexity? And how do you get man which will need to define how is he different. So, um, Darwin was the one that's famous for it and we'll go, and I guess we'll, I'll try to give an overview to the best of my understanding of the, the different um, facts that lead one to believe that there's an alternative explanation. Uh, If we look around, um, if we, if we start digging around, we start finding remnants of animals that don't, that do no longer exist. Animals, it's sort of bacteria or plant lives that are assumed to not exist anymore. Um, How old are they? When were they? So there are two basic ways of dating it. One is um, by um, radioactive dating, uh, carbon-14, which means as follows. Most living things ingest a certain amount of a tiny drop of radioactive material. And um, as the person dies, it, it, and as is the nature of all radioactive material, it begins to wind down. It, begi- it has half-life and it begins to lose its radioactivity. And over a given amount of time, um, um, using c- a quite simple formula, it, the radioactive material will be converted to non-radioactive material. And um, this is dating that works well for a huge amount of time. It doesn't work well for 1,000 years this way, 1,000 years that way, but it does work well. So as we begin to date different things we find, formerly living entities, we begin to notice a, um, a type of a, 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 a big gap in time between the things that have died recently and the things that we think are the earliest. And if we're to use this radioactive dating, it would come out to hundreds of millions of years difference. So the first thing is we now have things that lived a hundred of, uh, hundreds of millions of years ago um, as per the dating. That is step one. We also have a second way of dating it, and that is the world, if we start digging the wor- uh, around us, we find that the earth is layers and layers. Different mm-hmm. places, different layers and so on. A lot of those layers are um, akin to the type of layers that happen when rivers dry up, when rivers deposit earth. We see that all the time. Those are, that's a process that we still see. We can see um, water depositing earth. It then recedes, it dries up, and it forms a distinct layer. It's a distinct material, distinct uh, height and so on. If we dig down, we can, um, look at different layers and get a sense possibly of how long ago those layers were. So we will find that in certain layers that we assumed if there are six layers of material and each material takes X amount of time to happen, then it must have been a long time ago. We also find all sorts of weird sea life uh, on top of mountains and different places where, obviously, there have been huge geological changes and there's no way um, a, a, an oyster uh, could have happened to climb onto the Alps unless they had been covered by water once upon a time. And, and uh, the life was, you know, also to Rem's life was the puzzle all around. So we have the radioactive dating. We have the different layers of the earth and we can therefore give some sort of time frame for it. Now we notice that the earlier life forms seem to be a lot more primitive than the life forms we have. They don't exist anymore and they vaguely resemble things that we have. So um, we we can make a reasonable assumption that as time went on, life went from the more simple to the more complex. Now, um, the issue is, but how did that happen? Um, We didn't have any mechanism that we can uh, measure it with, so how in the world could that have happened? So Darwin supplied the missing piece of, of theory, and he said as follows. He observed I, this was even before they really had a good sense of the, of, of genes and how they worked. That um, there there is a natural process where animals that are more suited for survival will survive. If you have ten dogs, the, the strongest dog, the quickest dog, the dog that needs the least amount of food, the dog that can can live on the most types of food, whatever it is, any trait that will allow it to survive will, um, keep emphasizing a particular type of strain. So, a stronger lion will, the lions will keep getting stronger because the weaker lions died, were killed out, couldn't find enough prey, were attacked by the stronger lions, etc. And therefore, over time, character traits that made things more capable of, um, a more capable survival, survive. So now we have an explanation how it happened. Um, we have the character traits that are better. So, so every species keeps changing. And therefore, if, for instance, having a sense of hearing gives you a big advantage, so whichever, um, <coughs> whichever type had something akin to a sense of hearing, that would survive, etc., etc., etc. So that was a general theory. Um, he, he pointed out different things in an island that he studied things which seemed to indicate that you see that the same species, the same type of bird, depending on where it was located, or say, type of snake, the bird, would have characteristics that makes it suitable for there. the type of coloration, the type of, of, of subtle changes. So here we have observed in front of us a, a, um, something which brings out, um, it, it, it will naturally, um, it will naturally favor the survival of the things with more favorable traits, and as millions of years goes by, you keep getting those animals that have better traits, different traits, and so on, will keep moving forward. That was his general theory. As we became aware of genes and, uh, the mechanism of genetic heredity, uh, her- her- heredity we added to this, to this picture. We said there are basically, there's another way how how this happens. First of all, um, genes, um, every person contains many genes, some recessive, some dominant, and everyone has the capability of having children of different types, and therefore um, the, the child with the characteristics most suited for survival will um, survive. Secondly, there are random mutations where genes, um, e- are broken, and they produce something that was not expected, something that should not have been there, um, and therefore, you'll get occasionally something with an unusual trait, and, and that's a big, instead of, let's say, from, say having a dog that has, um, different colors, well, you might get a dog that, Um, has no color or something like that, and if that would be uniquely suited, those type of, that broken gene will become kind of the permanent gene. So this sort of fleshed out the theory. The proofs, in other words, the arguments that the, that this is a very, that this is correct, that it was a slow process of evolution, meaning it evolved from one thing instead of somebody sitting down and making it all was buttressed by two or three more points. One is all animals resemble each other remarkably. In other words, um, every animal contains almost the exact same DNA. There's very little difference. The difference between us and a mouse on the DNA level, on the genetic level, is a pittance compared to reality. And the argument goes, if you had a creator creating everything, he would have made humans out of humanity and mouse out of mouseness. And, you know, if he was, if he was a hatchiller setting up to do everything, you would create everything in its way. The fact that everything is almost exactly the same material with small variations, doesn't that show it simply is the old material with variations? That was one train of thought. Second train of thought was, you find resemblance in organs that are imperfections in the second stage. For instance, um, we have appendixes. Appendixes are not useful organs, and they help young surgeons make a pinossa, so it is kind of useful. But other than that, the only reason why it makes sense is because uh, animals like cows have stomachs where they store material and, and that's where the if fermentation takes place, etc. So this it makes most sense to say we came from the cow and this was simply an incomplete development. Maybe someday we'll be born without appendixes because the human race will favor small, appendix, small appendixes, no appendixes, etc. There's also a bone at the end of our spine which during the um, uh, embryo stage resembles very much the tailbone of animals and then it shrinks down to nothing. Doesn't seem to have any terrible useful um, use for man. So the best assumption is that it was probably a um, you know as as, the, as a species without a tail arose, it never there was nothing that particularly favored people without those bones and the mela um, that's there. So the vestiges of orga- of things that are not particularly at no use the more, and with a plausible explanation of it coming from something that was, is the most reasonable explanation for it. So, the, um, the, the organic construction of a person and, you know, of, of higher forms of animals, where there are things that don't make any sense in, in the, um, in what is, is easily explained by it came from someplace. Also, the genetic code is almost exactly the same for, is, is, is is exactly the same for every being, which makes sense that we all came from one point, (coughs) just developed into um, a more complex variation of it. Um, That's the most reasonable explanation. There are, there's another um, train of thought that seems to support it, which I think, to the best of my understanding, has been given much less credit um, an embryo seems to go through stages of looking like earlier animals before becomes a human being. It's very hard, ho- I don't know, it, it's, it's something, I, I don't know, it's, it's a question, looking at the eye, I mean, anything small looks like a, f- a tadpole. It doesn't, uh, it's very hard to know, uh, it, how accurate an observation is and how subjective an observation is. It's not, it's not a particularly objective fact. It's something that is, um, very subjective. It's just like you can look at the stars and so you can see, the, the, great dipper and the small dipper, you could say just a bunch of stars and some of these projected imagination. It's a much less, the, the, the embryonic, the development is much less of a support. Um, but the other ones were all a support that the assumption was as follows. If there was a creator, then he would have made each thing individual as it is. He would have started out and made man in the way that's best suited for man, and um, mouse the best suited for mouse, and flowers the best suited for flowers. And instead what we get is a mishmash of stuff. We also, if we structure, if we structure the um, living beings, we get a continuum from the simple to the most complex. Uh, If we look at the, um, at the different uh, fossils we find, they also seem to fit in different holes and nooks and crannies between different species, which kind of leads you to feel, that it was a continuous process from the simple and most complex. Um, that basically is the theory and the understanding of evolution, the way modern science understands it. Um, it's accepted as, it's universally accepted almost as, as fact. Um, and, um, and therefore it minimally, it, 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 it doesn't, in itself it cannot deny there's a God, but it takes away the argument that there needs to be a God. If I can explain, if I can walk into a room and I see a cake baking and I say somebody must have made the cake, if I can show you that that does not have to be like that, uh, for instance, let's look a very simple muscle. If, if, a, if a fire starts in a shed and no one was there to light a match, I say automatically this awesome, somebody must have lit a match to it. But if I can show you that uh, rigs and paints and things like that can have spontaneous combustion, w- which they can, they can heat up enough on their own, so I know no, no longer need to be convinced it's arson. I can look at spontaneous combustion. So the theory of evolution A provides uh, a supposedly credible alternative to the existence of a creator of intelligent design. It it, it tests, in other words, it, it questions the validity of the Torah description, the way it's described. And that's a very second passage that so I have to deal with. And also, um, the scientists point out that if you look at every being, there is, we could have designed a better being, that um, people, people s- stand erect. Standing erect is a horrendous way of, um, supporting the body. It's true that if you need to eat bananas off a tree, standing erect is a great way to do it. But other than that, uh, it's, it's, it, it's a, it's a tremendous feat to stand on your feet, pardon the pun. It, it's, you have to balance yourself. A, the has a much easier time. It stands on four solid feet. Um, it produces tremendous pressures and pains on the foot. And that's why podiatrists have pine because y- you have it. It's not the best way to design it. There are many parts of the body that a modern engineer could tweak and do better, so perfect, if, if the, the one who designed us is supposed to be perfect, the design is far from perfect, then we can show different things that we could have done better. That is more or less, to the rest of my understanding, the, the overview of, of this evolution. Now, so let's step back and ask ourselves, um, what, is, how do we relate to it? there, uh, now this theory on this unders- explains, seems to explain, tries to explain, the rise of life, the middle phase of, of com- of uh, of this disponiveness. How can we have something as complex as a human being? You start off with a simple cell, your little E. coli bacteria, the friendly E. coli bacteria, the full nothingness, and we can, with time, and um, the bacteria that was able to work with another bacteria together did better, and, and the bacteria that had a little stomach did even better, and so on and so forth, and give it enough time, then we can get the strongest complex as a person. That's what the, it seems to... Yes? Just for clarification, um, evolution is not dealing with how that first cell of quote-unquote life would have come into being, just like physics is not dealing with how the laws of physics... Exist. Right. Now, the, the, the theory of evolution did not work on that. However, and there is a, a, um, there is a, a discipline called abiogenesis, which needed to do that, which, you know, modern science, again, w- is looking to see if there's a credible alternative to, um, a God figure, and there are theories. The theories of that work as follows. Um, first let me, let's go back. So, so, so this theory explains the middle piece seeks to explain the middle piece, um, man being different than animal is not, is not taken as a given. Man is simply a sophisticated version of a primate. We cannot draw a line and say man is uniquely different, except that we're men, and uh, so we don't eat our own kind, but uh, morally, man is, is a just a more developed way of a primate. The way a primate might be more developed version of a mammal, the way mammals are more developed version of invertebrates, and et cetera that is a, um, that is the, um, so, so evolution needs not deal with the third phase, because man is not yet proven to be unique in a way that not, that's not just a modification of previous model, and, and the, the, the the first point, how did we get from water and sand to living things are, um, is, it's not dealt with. Standard evolution, but there's, there's a great discipline of science that obviously needs to fill in that part. The explanation to that is rests really in something that is um, a question that we can't even answer, and that is what is life. Now, in the big picture, we can define what life is. The problem is always in the details. Um, rocks sit and do nothing, and they're acted upon. Um, uh, uh, anything that happens in the rock needs to find explanation from outside the rock. Uh, the water wears it down. The sun dries it out. The, the the person kicked it, and so on. Life is something which is an active force. An active is not again the wind or the water is active. The, the wind is a product of heat and cold, and etc. The water is a product of something you know, of, of gravity, the water flowing, etc. A, a living being will be active. It will look for food, take in food, throw out waste, um, move to some degree. Even if it's a plant, it's going to grow outwards. It's going to bend towards the sun. It will create its self-preservation. It's a dynamic process as opposed to a passive process. So how do we get to that? And uh, that's a very challenging riddle. And the general explanation are, even, I mean, I guess, it's not even an explanation at this point, it's kind of the way in which we get to it is by, um, w- by trying to come up with the following formula. Protein molecules have the trait that they replicate themselves. Um, it's, in other words, it is assumed, let's put it this way, that certain molecules, just because of the nature of the molecule, will, anytime it comes in contact with other material, will replicate itself. Um, now, uh, and therefore, if we can, if we can get that first molecule to uh, come about to an accident, if you take water and nitrogen and carbon and, and different goodies and you put a lot of pressure and so on and so forth, you give it the same random, uh, the same random type of forces. One, at some point you will produce (coughs) a protein molecule. protein molecule, um, has the, um, it has, it's not the ability to, but rather it has the trait of, um, just like, uh, iron and water rust, protein replicates itself. That's just the way it is. So we have our first process of things happening. And, um, and and that's where we have our first key towards it. So, the trick is to try on, on laboratory conditions to get a lot of different materials to kind of bombard them all sorts of cosmic energies and electric energy, anything possible. You know, the first thing you always look for at least a possibility and then see if it would fit the scheme. And once I have a molecule that is a protein type molecule, then we have the key to the beginning of life. That's, that gap has been tried to answer that. That, that is basically, I, I would say, basically the points that, the, 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 the general description of scientific thought today in, in these areas. Now, um, let's try to think about it. And again, I'm not a scientist. I, um, I've read some. I, I notes, uh, I, I, I may be wrong on some pieces. Things might change. But once again, I will be held accountable for the level of understanding I have. I need to think about it. I need to contemplate it. And I need to understand what has been proven, has been proven, etc. I, I am going to be, um, a, I, I am going to be using some books um, that are pulled from. And the, uh, <coughs> the common denominator of these books are, um, all of them, except for one, these are three books. Um, they're published by Oxford University Press. Um, the reason why I chose it is simply because it's actually by random evolution. I'm on their mailing list, and when they have a sale, and I like something that they send, so if it's under five to ten dollars, I am a customer. If I like it, um, Oxford University Press is a very respectable press house. None of these books. Except for one, and I'll tell you which one. That's not the one. Maximum Versus Press are religious, trying to prove religion. It, it, they're, they're not at all engaged in the sugya that um, we're engaged in. They are all um, dealing simply with different things in science and um, explaining. You know, one is on cells. One is on molecules. One is about a general <coughs> overview of science and the the, the um, big sugya of science. Through the generations and what they were about, um, all of them. None of them are. I just happened reading it. There were things that I was very struck by that I'd like to share. Um, the first one is uh, actually it's called the Invisible. Let me just see. Um, it's called Stories of the Invisible. It is not science fiction. It's not at all uh, (laughs) about invisible people. It's a guided tour of molecules, um, by a person called Philip Ball. And this Philip Ball is a science writer, consultant editor for Nature. He was the editor for physical science over 10 years. His previous books include Designing the Molecular World, Self-Made Tapestry, H2O, Biography of Water, Holds a degree in chemistry from Oxford and doctorate in physics from Bristol who lives in London, where he also has a theater company. as, as, uh, standard as you get, and the book is simply about different molecules. And, um, the, um, it, 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 and, and it talks about complex molecules and easier molecules. Now, this is on page 46. And now we're talking about a cell. As you remember, um, once we shake together a few chemicals with a lot of pressure and energy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We come up with a cell which is very simple, non-dramatic, and easy to produce. And then we're on our way to make a more complex cell, etc. Um, he's trying to explain at the level what is molecular biology, and he um, Haldane attributes to Engels the proposition that life is the mode of existence of proteins. So a protein is the first step that we can call living. Um, this vitalistic statement implies that proteins are inherently alive, an idea that Haldane squashes. But he has no idea, no objection idea that proteins are the stuff alive. So protein is definitely the material that this is basically the material of cells. Um most many of them are enzymes which are absolutely necessary life because all of the processes that happen in a cell, um, need to happen in a, in a, reasonable time. If it took you 1,000 years to digest the meal, you would starve to death, um, and that would be it. So, with enzymes where you hurry it up a few thousand times, you, it, life can actually happen. Um, now, the, um, if the cell is a city, enzymes are the workers. To keep the city running, Raw materials are imported and converted to useful items. We bring in food and stuff. Enzymes populate the cellular factories in which this is done. One curious aspect of this manufacturing industry is that it includes factories for making enzymes, for making the workers themselves. Enzymes too are put together in production line. So the body, the cell is consists of enzymes, which produce enzymes, which produce the same enzymes that they are. So to be living, you need to have the ability to produce yourself. And um, not all proteins are enzymes. Some serve a structural role providing the tissues of the bodies. Some act as the cell's police force. Other carry packages to and fro in a protein shuttle service running on protein tracks. Some operate the portals to the cell. In other words, th- th- one of the most complex structures in the cell is, is the little skin around the cell that has to make a decision who to let in, what to let in, what not to let in. And um, it, it's, it's, it's as complex as they come. And S- um, some operate the portals of the cell, sitting the outer membrane, opening and closing an obedient response to the they receive. Now, I'm, um, stop quoting, how many different types of um, proteins would you guess there are? How many different types of functions a cell need? Five, six, seven? there are something like 60,000 different varieties of protein, molecule in human cells, each conducting a highly specialized task. So, the first thing is, 60,000 different things have to function. If the protein who, whose job is to guard the portal is, is, is 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 away for a long weekend, the cell dies on the weekend, because and if I am one protein, yeah, yeah, you need a protein to keep out viruses and a protein to keep out bacteria, a protein to keep out um, heavy chemicals and a protein to allow water in. And it, 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 you're talking about 60,000 different proteins that have to work in tandem, and each one is doing something, and it's not even clear how it knows what to do. Yes, you want Is this? It's not 60,000 different proteins in each cell, that's 60,000 proteins in you human cells. In human cells. Yes. Um, but uh, w- once again, it's, it's, so we have X amount of different cells. We have liver cells, kidney cells, and so, but the number, it would, now, the second thing is, we don't even know how they work. Listen to this. It would generally be impossible to guess what this task is by mere looking at a protein. You now, when we look at a microscope and you look and, and you, you molecularly analyze a protein, it's, you're clueless what it does. They are undistinguished in appearance, mostly globular in shape, and composed primarily of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and a little sulfur. All the proteins that fulfill a particular task have the same shape and structure. The seeming amorphous blob is, in fact, exquisitely designed and assembled. So we have 60,000 different types of active things. It's not um, you know, bits and pieces. You're talking about things that have a function, do things, accomplish things, and 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 we don't even know how to do it. And it, 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 we, science hasn't figured out because they look alike chemically. They're very similar, and on a big level, proteins behave the same. You you cook a protein, it gels. it, so like white eggs, egg whites, and fish and meat. And it's not very very different, and and yet each one has a different function and they have to function in tandem. Um, the the um, and then he goes through different functions. Um, that's one point. Second point in that same book, in the same chapter, but further along, he speaks about the mitochondria, and um, the 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 the, the th- these are extremely. Um, E- extremely complex factories inside the cell and um and the uh, in 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 the um each one the, the 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 this is something that comes from the mother rather than from both genes together it has everything else I- um everything else is um is is it's it's the yotsimina club now he goes on to a second issue, and it is, um, this is a second issue which is very difficult to understand about life, and it is probably the most difficult to understand about life. Okay, you have this incredible complexity of the proteins, but the proteins themselves don't make themselves. They are not what they are. There is a book, a book of instructions, where everything is written in code. That's called DNA, which produces all these proteins. So l- let's let's sit back a second. The, if the cell were a combination of different proteins, and let's say eggs and sugar and flour, let's give a muscle. Let's say eggs, sugar, and flour together make a cake. So if I see a cake baking in the oven, I say, oh, somebody made the cake. But let's say um, the cake itself so I say, that can't be. I say, well, the oven had to be on because uh, somebody forgot to shut the oven. That happens quite often. And there was a pan there. And um, somebody, some flour, somebody was taking flour out of their garbage and some of it fell in. Somebody was taking sugar and it fell in. And an egg cra- from the top that was cooking cracked and fell in. Together you get it. So, okay, that's, that's a, a micro, it, it's a coincidence of different elements come together. But that's not what a cell is. A cell has a code book that that's the thing that produces all these proteins. Now, that code book is not another bit of material. It's written in a language, in a universal language. And uh, so, we cannot have these proteins made without the DNA. We can't have DNA without proteins. Let me read you the RNA world. All living organisms, from the humblest of bacteria to the most regal of kings and queens, have their genetic material packaged in DNA and put into effect by proteins. So, the DNA is the book, and it's it's not a lump of protein, it's a book with a code for producing certain for producing materials. And, it, and the proteins are the messengers that accomplish what's written in the book. This implies that all life has a common origin. Um, and then he has a little note on the bottom, we simply do not know whether the DNA-protein partnership is the qua of life. Now, it's impossible to have without it. And it would be rash to suggest that life can have no other molecular basis. But none has been found. Um, it is not so difficult to imagine that slight systematic modification of DNA could give rise to an alternative genetic system. But no organism shows such a thing. There's one code, one code all across the board. The most primitive single-celled organism must have contained proteins and DNA very similar to those in simple bacteria. The word simple is in, in scare quotes. But what, come before, what came before? The molecular symbiosis whereby DNA encodes proteins and proteins, help DNA to function, to replicate it, is fantastically sophisticated even in bacteria. Neither proteins nor DNA could have come spontaneously in existence from fragments of organic molecules scattered throughout the seasonal or the earth. Let me give you a muscle. It, it, their structures are just too complex to have assembled at random. It is easier to understand the 3.8 billion years of evolution of the earliest bacterial algae to the present day than to understand how it may be just a few hundred thousand years Earth changed from a barren planet to one that cradled life. Chemists have devised many inventive schemes and, and they put together all of it. They are all tentative. No theory yet prevails for the chemical origin of life. But the conceptual difficulties in progressing from rock, gas and water the prototypes of biomolecules are still smaller than those of turning those building blocks into functioning cells full of protein DNA. It is a chicken and egg problem. On their own, both proteins and DNA are useless. Now, let's give an example. You walk into the kitchen and you found a cake baking. And you said, oh, somebody's been baking cake in the kitchen. And someone says, no, the oven was open, there was a pan there, um, happens. That's, that's not, that's not infrequent. The flour fell in, the sugar fell in, the, the this fell and that fell in, and so on. It stretches the imagination, but it's, it's still within the realm of possible. Now, let's say you open up a cookbook, and you find in the cookbook instructions as to how to make that particular cake. And then you find five cakes, all of them following the cookbook, and all of them in, in that, and each one a different cake. So, it, it, it w- now, it could be a cookbook could also happen by itself that, you know, there was ink and it's got, let, let's, let's jump, let's go all the way out. Put the cookbook together with the cake, and now we have an example of cookbook cook without the cake doesn't exist and a cake without the cookbook doesn't exist. We have a written s- instruction. A person finds a sandcastle by the ocean, and the sandcastle is, um, is, uh, is 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 a nice sandcastle, and somebody must have made it, and someone says, no, the water washed away, animals came and jumped in. It's plausible, a sandcastle is not, complex, it's it's just a mound of it. But let's say you find a drawing of a sandcastle next to it. So, if you can prove the drawing came afterwards, that makes sense. But if the drawing came beforehand, that doesn't, and then let's say you find ten of these sandcastles, different shades of things, each one has a drawing by it. And once again, let's say the drawing is earlier. Every single living being is a book and a fulfillment of the book. Um, I don't want to get dramatic and say it's a virus Hashem and a kirvah Hashem. Let's leave the religion out. We're still in the middle of evolution. We haven't gotten anywhere near religion. But it, it's stupendous. It's a code that tells you... The code itself is not a conglomeration approach. A living being is a conglomeration of, of chance m- m- chemicals. This is a, 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 def- a code written out, spelled out, how to make life. How did that get inscribed? How did we get a book? It, it's, not, it's not material. It's a book how do we get DNA and how does, what came first, the DNA or the proteins? I, I'm, I'm reading, uh, I, I'm reading from a science book that's not dealing, not dealing with religion, not dealing with anything. He suggests I- the, favorite way out of the conundrum is to switch attention to homogobity RNA. And once again, um, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's understood to be the weakest of answers. But since we have to prove, that it, it, it has a, a, a by itself. So we're going to have to look at it. But, so we have two things that are stupendous. So as far as beginning of life, there are two issues that are staggering. One is there is no simple life. There is nothing simpler than a cell. And the simplest cell is incredibly complex. It, it's, a, it's a whole being. It, it has to be tiny, but it's a being that has in itself functions incredibly complex and has incredibly complex um in material to make it. Secondly, um every living being is a col- is a combination of an instruction booklet and a an actualization of that instruction booklet. Um had the instruction booklet arise. Tho- those are the first points that really, really severely shake the possibility of and life coming from a lot of chemicals put together. Um, yes, Dennis. I just, maybe this might be too detailed a point, but was he saying that DNA is made out of protein, and yet DNA tells Pro- how to make proteins. Yes, so it's, it's like a, well, it's, it would be similar to a book telling you how to write a book. Right, but, but where it, the original instructions. And, but it's more than that, it's, it's, it's how it. we can understand nature being collection of materials. But writing a code, writing a book is not just ink and paper. It's it's there. There is the minute if I put together chicken and eggs and potatoes, it's a conglomeration of materials. But uh, DNA is not a material as such. It's it's a it's a material that has writing on it and has an extraordinary complex instructions on how to produce um, living things and in in a way that makes the, 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 um, the, the, the cell viable. Those 60, 70,000 proteins are written in, in a language, it's a real language, and a universal language, written in this code, how to produce it. Um, it, it ha- how did that booklet get written? Um, material we can say kind con- of conglomerate together and, and shook and and, 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 and was zapped and it, and it became something, fine. But writing. I mean, you're talking about a real writing of of, of the most complex chemistry book around, how to produce proteins. That is, um, that's one point, and we'll hold it with that for this year.